Amen. Thank you, Jake and Joanna. One of the reasons I have them sing together is just to prove that they can get along together. Amen. And uh, so uh, I'm glad that you're here this morning. Let's take our Bibles. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 13. Second Chronicles chapter 13. came across some scriptures in my Bible reading that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, this past week, you know, somebody says, where do you get your ideas uh, for preaching? Well, it's a real novel idea as I get them from the Bible. Amen. <laughs> I read the Bible and I say, hey, there's a good idea. I heard about a fellow one time and he went to a preacher. He said, where do you know, how do you how in the world do you come up with all your ideas to preach? The pastor had been preaching for a long time. And he told him, he said, I, I just read my Bible, amen? And, uh, and there's a lot of truth in the Scriptures. I'm going to give you a story this morning. It's a great story, uh, but it's not one that's well known. You know, there's some stories in the Bible that essentially every person who's done much study of the Bible is familiar with them and some who haven't, although unfortunately we're living in a generation that's getting more and more separated even from the major stories of the Bible. You know, Sunday school teachers, and we run the buses, you just can't assume that every child coming in, uh, once they get to third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, junior high, senior high, you cannot assume that they know the Bible stories anymore, that they've ever heard of David and Goliath, or that they've ever heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or that uh, even that they really have ever heard the, God, the, the plan of salvation and the, and the story of Jesus Christ. And uh, so we're living in... Uh, Days when we are moving further and further, unfortunately, as a society and as a culture from the truth of God's word. But I'll tell you what, if you if if you want the truth of God's word, it's very readily available. Just got to pick up your Bible and read it. And I encourage all of us to be doing that. But here in Second Chronicles, chapter 13, verse number one, it says now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam began Abijah to reign over Judah. Now, I'm going to have to spend some time giving you the context this morning, again, because it's not a uh, real familiar story here. <clears throat> but by the time we get to uh, this time in Israel, the nation of Israel has been split into two kingdoms. You remember? First there was the judges, then there was, and then the people wanted a king. They wanted to be like all the nations. You know, what is it about human nature? We want to be like everybody else. We say, I want to be different, which means I want to be like everybody else. Uh, young people say, I want to be different, which means they want to be like all their friends. Amen. But, um, but uh, they want to be like all the other nations. So God said, fine, I'll give you a king. And he gave them King Saul. But King Saul's reign didn't last very long, just a couple years. And uh, he got sidetracked. And then God raised up, uh, uh, after a period of seven more years, God raised up David to be king, and David became king, and then David's son Solomon became king. But after Solomon, there was a split in the nation, and it's very important to understand this, and if you're going to understand Old the Old Testament, it's very important to understand the history that the nation was split into a northern kingdom, often referred to in the Old Testament as Ephraim, and into a southern kingdom uh, often known or uh, just named by the name of the one tribe, Judah. So you had Ephraim, northern kingdom, 
and Judah's southern kingdom. So you have these two kingdoms and kings coming and going at different times uh, during these kingdoms. Now, the northern kingdom, Ephraim, strayed away from God much more quickly than the southern kingdom. Now, they both turned away from God eventually. But the northern kingdom uh, much faster. And for one reason, the northern kingdom made its capital Samaria, and they immediately, even the story we're reading now, just one king removed from Solomon, they were already worshiping golden calves. Folks, can I tell you something? A golden calf cannot answer your prayers. Amen. It may be pretty, but it cannot answer your prayers. And uh, anymore, and by the way, a calf made out of anything can't answer your prayers. An idol made out of anything cannot answer your prayers. And so, uh, but they immediately turned to idolatry, and uh, their capital was Samaria. <laughs> the capital of the southern kingdom, uh, the tribes of Benjamin and uh, Judah, uh, that capital was Jerusalem. And so they still had the temple. They still had Solomon's temple. And as we'll see today, they were able to continue on <laughs> in the uh, temple worship in the Old Testament times here. And so that's where we are. The uh, nation has been split into two kingdoms, and uh, the kingdom under uh, on the northern kingdom was being ruled by Jeroboam. And we see that in our, in our opening verse, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam. That doesn't mean he was 18 years old. That means it was 18 years since he had become king of the northern kingdom. And he was the first king after Solomon of the northern kingdom. He had actually been a servant of Solomon's and who came back and took the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom, became king over them in the split that we already talked about. And so we have the northern kingdom and then uh, in being led by Jeroboam, the southern kingdom, the first king was Rehoboam, and I'm having trouble with this mic hanging up on me somewhere there. But the northern kingdom, uh, or the southern kingdom, first was led by Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and then by Rehoboam's son, Abijah. And that's the king at this time. So the king at this time, in the context of our story, is Jeroboam over the northern kingdom, who had been a servant of Solomon, and Abijah, king over the southern kingdom, who was the grandson of King Solomon. Now look at verse 2. He, that's King Abijah, the southern kingdom, reigned three years in Jerusalem. That was their capital in the city of Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. Now notice this, there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. So they did not get along with each other. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom, and they had war. Verse number three, and Abijah, that's the southern kingdom, uh, set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam, northern kingdom, also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men being mighty men of valor. So you have an army of 400,000 against an army in the southern kingdom against an army of 800. Hundred thousand. So that's a lot of soldiers. Now, as comparison, I looked this up. There's about 1.3 million active duty soldiers in the U.S. military. So our military bigger than that. But you think they're going back. This is a thousand years B.C. There's a lot of soldiers. Uh, by the way, uh, China has 2.13 million soldiers. Think about that. Active military. 
and uh, we need to pray for our country, amen? And, uh, but, uh, but a large contingent, 400,000 soldiers on the south, but double that in the north. So, look at verse 4. And Abijah, he's the king of the southern kingdom with 400,000 soldiers ready to go to war here, stood up upon Mount Zamaraim, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel. So the king of the southern kingdom has a message for the northern kingdom. And here's his message, verse number 5. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, which was true, been given to David, even to him and his sons by a covenant of salt. Now, a covenant of salt is a covenant, is a promise that God has promised not to break. I preached messages on the covenant of salt, and there's a whole truth there. Won't go into it today, but that was a permanent uh, covenant contract that God would not break. And so that's what he says. God's given the Israel to David forever. Now look at verse number six. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. He's saying, look, you rose up and rebelled and took the northern, created the northern kingdom. And there are gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, that's his, Abijah's uh, father, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them. So he's going, he's going back into the history here. Gets a little in the weeds here. But he's saying, look, uh, Jeroboam, you, when my father, who was king before Abijah, was young, you broke away. You took half the kingdom. In fact, he took 10 of the 12 tribes. So he's just reminding him of this. Uh, you rebelled against my father, Abijah says, uh, Rehoboam, and he says, you took the kingdom, and you gathered vain men to you. Now look, verse number 8, And now ye think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, and ye be a great multitude, and there are with you, notice this, golden calves, which Jeroboam made you for gods. So again, he's speaking to this army of 800,000. He says, look, you've got your golden calves. Verse number nine, have ye not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. So he said, look, you have rejected the God of Israel. By the way, that's not something that is hard for us to identify with. We're living in a nation that's in the process of rejecting the God of Israel. Driving God out of our public places, out of our schools. And, and, uh, and so we have, folks, understand. And, and here's the point. Here's one of the points. That is not without consequence. It's not without consequence. But that's what happened back then. He said you got rid of the priests, kicked them out, and made priests out of just anybody who wanted to be one rather than the Levites who had been chosen by God as a priest. Now he compares that northern kingdom, to their own kingdom, the southern kingdom. He says, but as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron. And the Levites wait upon their business, and they burn unto the Lord, talking about in the temple in Jerusalem, every morning and every, every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. Of course, we're in the Old Testament times, precursor to the coming of Christ. So they're still doing the temple sacrifice. 
The showbread also set thee in order upon the pure table and the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof to burn every evening. Notice, for we keep the charge or the commands of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken him. Notice what he says in verse 12. And behold, God himself is with us for our captain. So King Abijah understood this. He was king, but God was over the king. He said, the Lord himself is our captain. It reminds me uh, in the early days of, uh, of our nation when the American colonists were, uh, when the Revolutionary War was just getting started and they had King George they were dealing with and the rallying cry uh, by many uh, in, at that time of the colonists was no king but King Jesus. Check it out in history. Boy, think how that would fly today. If, if a politician got up and said, look, no king but King Jesus. Boy, I'll tell you what. But that was part of the groundwork of our nation. And it was very similar to what uh, uh, Abijah was saying here, that God is uh, our captain. And uh, continuing on here, uh, and his priests, verse number 12, with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you, O children of Israel, Fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. So he warns them here. King Abijah says, look, this is not going to work, turn out well for you. King Jeroboam and your 800,000 army, even though we only only have 400,000, we have God on our side. But look at verse number 13. But Jeroboam, that's the king of the northern kingdom with his 800,000 soldiers, caused an ambushment to come about behind them. So they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. And when (laughs) Judah, the soldiers of Judah, the 400,000 army, looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. So while he's making his speech, King Jeroboam is making an attack. He doesn't even realize what's happening. He's ambushing him. He thinks the soldiers, the 800,000 armies all in front of him. Actually, there was a portion of them that was circling around behind them. And he gets done making his speech. And by some means, the scripture doesn't give us that fact. By some means, they realize that part of Jeroboam's army had come around behind them. And now instead of one front to fight the battle, they had two fronts. They were taken by surprise. They were not expecting that to happen. Now notice what happened next. And they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. Now understand, they are severely outnumbered. They got 400,000, and now they're sandwiched between 800,000 on both sides of them. Folks, that's what you call a big problem. That's a big problem. That's a predicament. And they were caught totally by surprise. Now look at verse number 15. They cry unto the Lord. Then verse 15, then the men of Judah, that's the southern kingdom that's outnumbered, gave a shout. And as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass, notice this, that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel, that's the northern kingdom and the 800,000 soldiers, before Abijah and Judah, that's the southern kingdom, 
and the 400,000 soldiers. And the children of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, fled before Judah, notice this, and God delivered them into their hand. Now look at verse 17. And Abijah, that southern kingdom king, and his people slew with them a great slaughter. So there fell down slain of Israel. Remember, they started out with 800,000. The Bible says there fell down slain 500,000 chosen men. Now, folks, that is a lot of people to die in one day. 500,000. Thus, the children of Israel were brought under at that time, the northern kingdom, defeated. And the children of Judah prevailed, were victorious. Notice this now. Because what? They relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. They were victorious because they relied on God. One of the great challenges in life that afflicts all of us is the challenge of unexpected problems. Anybody here ever had an unexpected problem <laughs> where, where things went wrong and you weren't expecting it? Amen. Anybody here never had an unexpected problem? We've got one. I need to meet with you after the service. Amen. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, find out how that can be. But, uh, but that is part of life. And this morning I want to preach a message I've entitled this, How to Be Prepared for the unexpected. The unexpected's coming. Young people, you say, hey, I've got this plan. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to learn this. Uh, you know, I'm going to study this. I'm going to follow this career path. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm all for having a plan. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. I'm all for having a plan. But I'm telling you this, just as sure as you are sitting here, unexpected problems are going to show up. They're going to come. And I want to talk to us this morning about what the Bible says about how to be prepared. And by the way, sometimes that unexpected is some really rough, rough going. Sometimes it's tragedy. And we need to be ready. And the Bible tells us how we can be. Let's pray. And I'll give you a truth this morning. Lord, we come to you this morning. I pray now that you would meet with us. Lord, I pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would just. Uh, give us the wisdom that we need this morning, Lord, to know how to deal with the problems that come in life. Because, Lord, they will come. They'll come to every one of us in different degrees, some much greater than others, but they will come to all. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do and how to prepare for it. And we'll thank you for it for we ask in your name. Amen. No doubt, Abijah, king of the southern kingdom, knew that the king, Jeroboam, the northern kingdom, had more soldiers than he did. I don't think he walked into this thing thinking their armies were an even match. I think he knew that. I think he also was counting on God to help them overcome that. So uh, he had some knowledge going into it, no doubt, and no doubt he had taken that into account. But when it came to the ambush, that caught him completely off guard. It was something that he was not expecting, and it put him in great peril of losing 
the battle. And folks, listen, there are some things that can come in life that can knock you completely off base. I mean, you take some precautions, you make sure you're trying to cover your base. But there are some things you, you just, they, they can just totally knock you off guard. And that was the case here with King Abijah. Now, I'm a person who likes schedule. I like routine. I like organization. I like having a plan, carrying out that plan. But, folks, it doesn't matter how much you schedule, organize, and plan. Problems are going to come in life that you do not expect. And at those moments, the difference between Success and failure, victory and defeat, overcoming or being overcome can often come down to one thing, and that is your relationship to God. Your relationship to God. I feel for those who have no relationship to God when the problems come. And folks, we live in a Society where, I'm telling you, people are turning to alcohol, they're turning to the drugs. I was visiting a lady yesterday, and I had met somebody who lived, was a neighbor to her, and I asked her about him, and I didn't, didn't had, had only met her once before, so it wasn't somebody I knew well, and she said, oh yeah, he said, uh, nice young man. She said, but, he works a little bit, takes his money. Buys drugs, does his drugs. When he runs out of money, he goes back. Same cycle all over again. Let me just caution young people. There's a reason why they call those things addictions. It's because they pull you in and then control your life. And do not be deceived into thinking that you can be the exception to the rule. But that's the way we live in a society that is solving its problems uh, with addictions, with alcohol, with drugs, uh, with immorality. But, uh, but when, those, when the problems come, a lot of times it comes down to your relationship to the Lord. Look back again at 2 Chronicles 13, 18. Let's look at it again. Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed, were victorious because of one thing, not their preparation, not their training, not anything they had done other than the fact that they relied on God. Because King Abijah and the children of Israel were following the Lord and serving the Lord God intervened and gave them a miraculous victory. Now, I have news for you. The God of the Old Testament is the same God we serve today. He has not changed. Say, well, times have changed. Yes, times have changed. Although, look back then, they're all fighting wars. Everybody's no, no, people are not getting along. This is not a new thing. Amen. (laughs) Say, why is that? Uh, It's because of the curse of sin. You know, there is a uh, secular humanist, a train of thought out there that says that we are basically good and getting better. Show me how that's the case. <laughs> I mean, that's, this is, this is 3,000 years ago. What are they doing? They're having wars. So this is part of human nature because of the curse 
of sin on the world, and each one of us uh, born with a sin nature. Uh, but we have a God, and God delivered them because they were following Him. Now, here's my point this morning. When everything is going well, and when everything is working out as planned, when those periods of life come, there is always the temptation, if not to turn away from the Lord completely, then to drift from the Lord. There is something about human nature, when everything is going well, we tend to drift from the Lord. We tend to become complacent. We tend to become apathetic. You know, one of America's challenges uh, over the generations is that we are so blessed and we have been so blessed with so much that we have become, even as believers, we have become apathetic when it comes to things of God. You know, it's the old thing. I don't know and I don't care. Boy, there's a lot of apathy in the world today. There's a lot of apathy when it comes to the things of the Lord. But that's a temptation to drift. But when that happens and you're going along, everything's going okay, and you're kind of drifting away from the Lord, or in some cases people totally turn their back on the Lord, everything's going well. But when you're in that situation and the unexpected trouble comes, you are on your own. You're on your own. Now, I understand the Lord gives a second chance. I understand we can repent and come back. But there is a process to that as well. Turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Most of you are, you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. But there's one aspect of the prodigal son. I've mentioned it before, but it's not usually something that is focused on typically in the story of the prodigal son that is very important, I believe, to the story. See, the prodigal son, young man, working, you know, his father had uh, some businesses or things, and he's working there. And, of course, it's a parable, and, and the father represents God. But the, uh, in, the story, in the story itself, this young man decides, hey, I've got everything figured out. Here's what I'm going to do. When I get old enough, I'm going to ask for my inheritance. And he said, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to move out. Boy, aren't those beautiful words, young people. <laughs> On your own. What's the advantage of moving out? No more rules, amen. Nobody telling me what to do. Wouldn't that be nice? No accountability. Nobody saying, where were you? What have you been doing? I mean, that's our tendency as young people. And by the way, some of you older folks, uh, we were all there at one time. All tempted with that. But that was the prodigal son. I mean, he got, he said, man, I'm going to get my inheritance. I'm going to be 18. And I'm moving out. And that's what he did. And he took his money. He had a plan. He had a pocket full of money. That was his plan. And you know, one of the first, one of the first experiences in life, I think you learn when you move out from home, uh, you learn two things. How much it costs to live and how quickly money 
expense. I know. You can live on love. You know, that's about, oh, 12 to 24 hours. You can get by with that. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little longer than that. But sooner or later, you know, they're going to want the rent paid and the car payment paid and gas in the car and groceries and insurance and water bills and medical bills and on and on it goes. But he had money in his pocket. He had a plan. I'm going to be old enough. I'm going to move out. I'm going to live life and just have fun. Boy, that sounds, that sounds great. I'll tell you what. Just have fun. That was his plan. And it worked for a little while. By the way, there was a second part of his plan. second part of his plan was forget about God. Forget about God. Turn his back on God. Didn't need that. So he goes out, and sure enough, it's uh, all working. He's having fun. He's living in riotous uh, living, the Bible says, and uh, living in the world and all the habits of the world. Look at verse number 14. It says, And when he had spent all, there arose, this is Luke 15, 14, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Now, were a couple things, two things that weren't part of his plan. One is the obvious. He ran out of money. Anybody here ever run out of money? You run out of money. <laughs> and uh, that's when you hope you're in well with the banker. Amen. But he ran out of money. But, you know, he probably figured, well, I could get a job. You know, he had, you know, if I have to, I know how to work. He'd grown up working for his father. I can get a job. But, folks, here's the point. Something completely unexpected happened. Something that no one could foresee. Something that no one would have been prepared for. And that was a famine came. Now, if we were living today, we would call it coronavirus. Amen. <laughs> Boy, I'm telling you what, the economy's doing great. Everything's doing great. More people working than ever before, in, almost in the history of the country, if not ever before in the history of the country. Boy, everything is great. But then something came along. Now, regardless of where it came from, or how it came from, or how much it's being made to be bigger than it is, I'll tell you this, it has had an effect. A negative effect. But there was a famine in the land. The prodigal son never expected the famine. That was never part of the plan. And truth is, he could never have expected it. It was a problem that was unforeseeable. But without the Lord on his side, he was on his own, and he ended up in the pig pen eating pig slop. That's where he ended up. Didn't have God to intervene on his behalf. He had run away from God. He had run away from home. He was living his own life. And when things went south, as they will repeatedly in life, he didn't have anywhere else to turn. 
Except he looked at those pigs and said, you know what? They're getting food every day. Maybe if I feed them, I can have some of that. Now, I've spent a little bit of my life working around hogs. A couple years. When I first moved to Iowa, I'd go up. My father-in-law was gracious enough to actually pay me to come and work for a day on the farm each week. And I would go up to the farm in Kelowna, and I would work with the hogs. Because, of course, the church was started. It was a church plant. We were just out the college. Church couldn't pay us a little bit, but we couldn't afford to live off of that. And so we, I would go up to the farm and work for a day with the hogs. And I will promise you this. I never one time wished that I could eat what the hogs were eating. Amen. And the other thing that spending a day a week with the hogs did, it helped me to come back and work even harder at establishing the church. Because I knew one thing, I did not want to spend the rest of my life in a farrowing house. Have anybody, how many here have been in a farrowing house on a day like today? Amen. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, when I say you can taste it, that's, you can taste it. And it is not. Young people, you teenagers who've never been there, let me tell you something, it is not a pleasant taste. <laughs> and by the way, that would be a good experience for every young person here to spend a day uh, in a farrowing house and uh, shoveling out the hog manure. It would help you get a good perspective on life, amen, or a better perspective on life. But, but listen, this fella ended up in, and he didn't just go in and clean out and go home. He was living there in that filthy mess. Now, can I tell you something? That's where the devil will leave you when things go astray, when the problems come, if he can do it. There are many unforeseeable problems in life. And with everything that's going on in our present world, I shouldn't have to spend much time trying to convince us of it. Amen. It's pretty obvious. And I'm not saying God's going to completely deliver us from every one of those situations, even when we wholeheartedly follow after him. There are times, sometimes like Job and like others, where God allows trials to test us. But I'm saying this, having a heart that is right with God and a life that is being lived for the Lord will enable God to hear you and if not deliver you, at least see you through. Folks, I'm telling you this. Honestly, believers, if you are walking with the Lord and you are trusting God and you are putting him first in, in all areas of your life and striving sincerely to live for him, you do not have to be worried about what's going on in society today. I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned about it, but you don't have to lay awake at night. You know why? You have God on your side. You're his child. You're living for him. He's able to take care of you. The resources available to God to come to our aid are limitless. He is not bound by time. He is not limited by location. He is not constrained by expense. He is not restricted by power. And he knows the past, the present, and the future. And nothing ever takes God by surprise. Nothing ever takes God by surprise. God is not surprised by the coronavirus. Fact of the matter is, God may be. It's a good time for God, us to say, hey, maybe God's using this to try to get our attention. Maybe America ought to straighten up. 
Maybe we need to get back to God. Unfortunately, there seems to be a push in the other direction. But that's human nature too. But, but God is able. He can work via human means as he did in our text passage when he empowered the armies of Judah to overcome the armies of Israel. Or he can work completely on his own as he did when he delivered Israel out of Egypt. He can work through people, but he doesn't have to. There's one battle in the Bible where uh, the side that should have lost won because God threw down great hailstones out of the sky and killed the other army. God's not limited. You say, I don't know how God will get us out. Well, I'll tell you this. There's been more difficult things that God's gotten people out of than whatever it is that you or I are facing. He is not bound. His resources are limitless. He is able and willing to come to the rescue of those who are serving him. Turn over to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18. Now, I'm probably going to skip some of this today because of the length and the time, but this is a great psalm. I encourage you to read this this week. Psalm chapter 18 but I want, us to give, I want to give you some truth from it along the same lines as what uh, we're focusing on this morning. Psalm 18, verse 1, the psalmist begins, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call, notice this, I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. Now, that's the words of a man whose heart is right with God. But now look at verse number four. <laughs> Something changes. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. He said, hey, all of a sudden I found myself in a great problem. Well, I'll tell you what, that switches from one verse to the next. And you know what? You can go from everything being, everything going great to everything not going great in a very short period of time. You know what I've found with myself now with six grown children, five who are, don't live here. But, you know, I find when I get a phone call at a strange time of the day, you know what my first thought is? They're calling to tell me a blessing that's happened to them, right? <laughs> How many of you have grown children, and when that phone rings and it's not the normal time, you're like, oh, wow, something good must have happened. They want to share it with me. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what you do. You think, okay, <laughs> let's see what this is. Amen. But listen, things can go south real fast. And that's what happened here. The psalmist is in trouble. Notice his response. Verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. Now, he's a, he is right with God. His heart was right with God when everything was going great. Now, all of a sudden, everything is going bad, but he's able to call on God. Look at verse 6. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Now, look at God's response. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundation also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. 
There went up a smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured, and coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also, and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. Where he's going? He's coming to his aid. God says, man, he hears his cry and he says, hey, I am going to be there. I'm coming. And he made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. Skip to verse 14. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Who's them? The enemies. Look at verse 16. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He said, man, I was about to go under as if it was a flood, describing a flood. You know, interesting uh, article in the headline of the Hawkeye today that said, think you're, basically says, think you're safe from floods, you're pro- you might be wrong. And I'm thinking like, seriously, we're in the middle of summer and the Hawkeye has to do a whole editorial and we don't have a flood going on. We have to do a whole, it's a whole full page article on, hey, if you thought you weren't on a flood, think again. So evidently we're running out of news in this town, amen? Even when we don't have floods, we have to do flood stories and talk about how bad things are. But that's the press for you. Listen, don't let it scare you, amen. And, uh, but uh, he says, look, he drew me out of the waters. He saved me. Look at verse 17. He delivered me, notice, from my strong enemy. Oh, there's, folks, listen, there are enemies out there that we are no match for. There are problems that are way bigger than we're able to deal with. They prevented me. And from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. Look at verse 19. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Verse 20. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. Hath he recompensed me? Now, folks, do you see the connection here between living a life for the Lord and the willingness of God to come to his aid? Folks, as believers, I'm thankful. You know, we have all these safety nets we build into society. And again, these things tend to draw us away from the Lord. But we have the safety net of insurance, and I have insurance. And uh, we have the safety net of all the government programs. There's a bunch of them. One way or another, we're probably all getting some money from the federal government. Amen. (laughs) Safety net. And uh, there's the uh, safety net of everything that's promised. State level, federal level, handed out. You know, we've gone through this virus, and what did the federal government do? I'm not here to debate right or wrong, but they handed out everybody money. You know what? If we're not careful, we're going to forget that our real help is from God in heaven. I'm not against taking the money. I took the money. Now, the church didn't take the money. We could have. There was money offered to the church. We didn't take, we didn't take that, that money. But we, and if some did, that's fine. We didn't take that. But, but personally, I took the money. I'm not against that. But I'm saying this. The federal government is not the one that's going to keep my head above water. And by the way, 
we keep this giving this money out, they may come when this money ain't worth anything. <laughs> like sand on the seashore. Who's going to help you then? You know what? If your heart's right with God and you've been seeking after God and you've been living for the Lord and you've been doing right, you know what you can do? You can cry out to God and he'll still be there for you. There's a connection. Two simple steps and I'm done to being prepared for the unexpected troubles of life. Number one, live for the Lord in the good days. Live for the Lord when you're healthy. Live for the Lord when the bills are paid. Live for the Lord when you got a job. Live for the Lord the day after you got a raise. Live for the Lord when everything is going your way. So that when the unexpected trouble comes, as it absolutely will in this sin-cursed world, you'll be able to follow step number two, which is what? Call out to the Lord. Folks, I think even as believers, if we're not careful, the Lord becomes our last, our last reserve when everything else. You know what? When we have a problem, we ought to, we ought to come to the place where we say, hey, Lord, help me with this. When we get that phone call, when whatever it is that we had unexpected thing shows up that throws a wrench in everything we were going to do, we need to have the attitude of, hey, it's time to pray. Lord, help me. By the way, it'd be good to get in the habit on the little things so when the big things come, you're in the habit. Folks, listen, I'm just telling you, I think there's, there's believers out there and the first time the Lord hears from them is when they're following the ambulance on the way to the emergency room. And the Lord's like, you know, it seems like I remember you. Ten years ago, you got saved and, and you stayed in church for a little while and then you kind of dropped out and then you kind of got involved with the wrong crowd and you kind of went your own way. And all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, on following that ambulance with that loved one inside whose life is hanging in the balance, all of a sudden I'm hearing from you again. You know what would be a good thing? If the Lord heard from us every morning. The mornings when everything's going right and the mornings when it's not going right. Folks, it's not, it's, it's not rocket science. Live for the Lord. Say, so what's that mean? That means obey His word. If the Bible says it's right, then do it. If the Bible says it's wrong, then don't. Very simple. And when the trouble comes, you'll be able to do like we see here where they called on the name of the Lord. So if heads bowed, eyes closed this morning.